0: good morning. morning. I think I did something. I'm not sure what I did. Um, Well, thank you guys for being here. Very excited. I have a question for you. Do you guys remember the first album, the first record that you ever purchased? You remember that? Some of you are a lot younger. So what was it? Oh, wow. Comedy album. Okay. Anybody else? Oh you're 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 in my grouping, yeah. yeah. Who? Kansas. Kansas. Oh, okay. Gotcha. So the so the first album I ever purchased was the album Help by the Beatles. Do I need to do something? Are we okay? No, okay, I'll just keep going. So I bought Help, the album Help, which was this black vinyl thing, for $7 at Luskins Hill. Probably nobody even remembers the Luskens Hill. Oh, yeah, I can see all the seniors. So um, on that album, there were some really great... So, yeah, thank you. Um, on that album, I don't know how many times we're going to have secular albums posted on our screen, so this, this is one chance you get to see one. On that album, there were a number of different singles. Help, which they made into a, a movie. And the night before and another girl, and I think, and I didn't do a whole lot of research, but I think the biggest single selling on that was Ticket to Ride, and that was a great album. I love that album. That album would now be 56 years old, younger than me, and it recently, a mint condition recently sold for $129,000. Yep. Now, I haven't gone up into my attic to see if I could find mine but I'm thinking about retiring early, (laughs) like last week and trying to find that. So I loved that record. I would listen to that record over and over and over again. And, And after a while, I began to hear sort of crackling and like static in the record. And see, that was the problem with vinyl records, which most of you have never even seen anymore. See, when Edison invented the first record, the first phonograph, it was a wax cylinder. So, imagine how soft that was, you know, how many plays did you get out of a wax cylinder before it finally just, you know, and you couldn't play it on a hot summer day, right? You had to play it in a refrigerator or something. Um, But it would just kind of wear out, and the vinyl record was a big improvement, but it's still not a hard material. And when you run a diamond needle through those grooves dozens and dozens of times, and there's specific notches in each one of those grooves, they wear down and the sound begins to deteriorate. So I want you to think about how life is just like that vinyl record, and we're going to see in a moment how we too are carefully crafted and called to specific, and specifically engineered for a purpose. And we may start out like that fresh new vinyl album, but as we face the repetitive grind of life, we lose our voice, we lose our distinctiveness. We lose, like that album, this thing called fidelity. And fidelity is, is defined as the degree of exactness to which something is copied or reproduced. And we tend to lose our clarity and our fidelity of our purpose and our passion over time. Well, I can't think of a better day time than the fall, this being September, um, to, to kind of revisit all of that. Now, the, the calendar tells us that January 1st is the official start of the new year. But the unofficial start of the year, to me, is always the fall. I don't know if you guys feel that way, but it's kind of like, you come out of the summer, you've got this kind of undefined, you know, you've got your summer vacations, and undefined schedule, and then all of a sudden it's back to work, all your vacations are all used up, your vacation time's used up, except for the Thanksgiving, Friday, and some time around Christmas. and, and um, and, and you don't get that chance to kind of, you, you, you have this new change of schedules. And so this is a time where we really can kind of refocus on how do we get back the, the, the new habits and the new grooves that we want to be, get into. So this is a great time for a full new uh, restart. So the title of our message is Called and Crafted. And the big idea is we've been called and crafted to do God-prepared good works. And how do we know this? Well, we find it in today's text, which is Paul's letter to the Ephesians chapter 2 in the first ten verses. So if you have your Bible, you can pull that out to Ephesians 2. If you have your Bible app, turn to Ephesians chapter 2, first verse. Uh, If you don't have that, we're gonna be putting it up on the screen behind us so you'll be able to follow along. But before we read, let's go ahead and pray and ask God for his help. Heavenly Father, you are the master creator, the divine designer. And you've made us to bring you glory. But Lord, you are also love itself. And we know that all that was written in your word is here to reveal your love for us. Open our minds, open our eyes, open our hearts to what you have for us this morning. Amen. So, Ephesians chapter 2, starting at verse 1. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins in, once you, in, which, in which you once walked, following the course of the world following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy because of his great love for which he loved us, even while we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up and seated us with him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages we might know the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and it is not of your own doing, it is the gift of God, not the result of works that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So this passage is a 215 word short story. That makes it a very short story, but even as a short story, it has all the pieces, the three major pieces of a story. It has the introduction, the conflict, and the denouement, or the resolution. However, what makes this story really interesting, what makes this story compelling, is that it's your story. This story describes you and you, and you, and me. It describes all of us. Now, how can I make that blanket statement? Well, the text is pretty clear. It starts off with, and you. So, but just in case you're concerned, it's not just you, the Ephesian folks. It also says, just like all mankind. So there's no wiggle room there, no mistaking that. This is our story, this is written for us. But the second compelling reason talks about it comes in the second part which is the conflict and the question is what or who is in conflict in this story I'm gonna leave you on the edge of your seat for a minute for that so let's break this story into its parts so we can dig a little bit deeper the introduction and you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked following the course of this world following the prince of the power of the air the spirit that is now working the sons of disobedience among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and we're by nature children of wrath just like the rest of mankind. Our story finds us in a pretty dire situation. We're dead in our sins, and by nature, our nature, we are objects of God's wrath. Now, we're gonna do a deep dive into that when we get into the book of Genesis starting next week, Um, but I want you to think about a movie that you've seen recently. And I want you to think about, in that movie, there's a bully. There's a bully in almost every movie. Karate Kid, Back to the Future, even the latest Top Gun movie, which was very good. Um, but the bully, and we're about to face the full force of that bully's anger. But the bully it doesn't fit in this short story. And the reason is because God is not a bully. God's just, that means that the wrath of God for sin is focused on us and that wrath, that anger, that fury is rightly and justly and appropriately aimed at us. Because of our sin, we deserve God's punishment. That makes this your story, it makes it my story, it makes it the story of every single person born on this earth. Now some of you may say, wait a minute, there's one noted exception hold that thought that brings us to our second section the conflict Ephesians 2 4 through 7 but God being rich in mercy because of his great love he loved us even when we were dead in our trespasses he made us alive together in Christ by grace you've been saved and raised us up with him and seated us in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages we may show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. But God. This section starts with a two-word summary of the gospel. But God. We were there, and there was a conflict, but the question was, who was in conflict or what was in conflict? Well, it wasn't us. We weren't in conflict. We were happily ensconced in our sins. We're pursuing our selfish desires, or so verse 3 tells us. The conflict, and the but God gives us the hint, the conflict was in God himself. His holiness and divine nature dictate punishment. His holiness and divine nature dictate punishment, but his love pleads for mercy. God is in conflict. So picture yourself in a courtroom, You're there because someone broke into your home. They stole some expensive electronics, but they also stole some family treasures. Your father's watch, your grandmother's ring, things of irreplaceable personal value. The prosecuting attorney states the case. The evidence is clear. This criminal broke into your house, your home, and stole from your family. And you think guilty. Lock him up. Then the defendant gets up and explains why. Their child had become sick and drained their savings. A so-called friend had defrauded them and left them out on the street. He felt like he had no choice but to steal or see his family starve. Now the case goes to the judge. He has to make a choice between judgment or mercy, but the circumstances, he's guilty. He admitted as much, but the circumstances beg for mercy. What would you do? Your office as judge requires judgment, but your heart desires grace. We have a God who is both judge, just as our passage has, and, and as our passage says, has immeasurable riches of grace. The great I am can neither compromise his justice nor change his character of compassion he can't compromise his justice and he can't change his character but there's more our passage tells us that the riches of grace come from his kindness towards us in Christ Jesus what a conundrum God is in conflict about us we didn't commit petty theft but we committed treason against heaven and we should pay the ultimate penalty But God had a plan. God has a solution. He showed kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. Jesus exchanged his innocence before God with our guilt and our sin. Do you remember that I said that every human being was an object of God's wrath? And I know some of you thought, but not Jesus. True, but not true. Jesus wasn't born an object of God's wrath, but he voluntarily exchanged his righteousness for ours. He voluntarily became the object of wrath by taking on the sins of the world, John 1.29 tells us. So our third section, the final section, the denouement, the conclusion, Ephesians 2.8-10, for by grace you've been saved through faith, and it's not of your own doing it's a gift of God not the result of works so that no man may boast for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them so let me summarize but before that let me ask you a question why are you here why are you here I don't mean it's Sunday I'm supposed to be in church But why are you still on this earth Why didn't God take you up to heaven once he saved you? Well, Ephesians 2 has our answer. Now I'm going to summarize. Because of our sin, we were objects of wrath. We were saved from our sin, saved from God's wrath, because Jesus took the punishment for us in our place. And we were saved to do good things which God prepared for us in advance of The reason we're still here is because we have a job to do. We have things that God has prepared for us. Verse 10 says, we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. We've been called and crafted to do God-prepared good works. Now, it doesn't work if we're trying to do the good works to gain our salvation. We've been given salvation to do our good works. And when we do that, it's like listening to a great piece of music on a brand-new phonographic record. You hear every note, every pluck of the guitar, every pull of the violin string. But we're also like a record in another way. When that record becomes well-worn after repeated use and gathers dust, the grooves wear down, and the sound loses its sharpness. We, too, from the distractions, and just life in general lose our focus we lose our fidelity that groove in that record has lost the exactness of its original purpose so in light of our 1960s theme we are here to get our groove back yeah so let's transition to our application and please take that slide down I don't want to tell you how long I searched for a 60s font on the word groove. So I'll pull the curtain back real quickly. Wednesdays, pastors meet and we talk about the Sunday service and we pretty much ride the guy who brought the sermon and that will be one of the points. Okay, application. So I want to make five points of application. Now that's a lot. Five's a lot. It's way too many. But if you bear with me, I think I can do this in bite-sized pieces. And then the second thing is, don't try to do all five. Just listen. God's going to be speaking to your heart about one or two of these points of application. That's the one you want to grab a hold of and run with, okay? So listen with your heart. What's the Lord saying to you? Point one uh, of application, Sunday mornings. So if I'm called by God to do good works that are prepared by God, then I want to be intentional about Sunday morning. Why? because Sunday morning is when we hear from God as a church family. Why? Because Sunday morning is where I get to be with and serve God's people and our guests. Now, next week is Raven's opening day. Oh, come on, I was, I was hoping for like, yeah. Ah, forget that. No, no, too late, okay? We're not playing, no. But next week is Raven's opening day and at one o'clock I will be in my dad's chair in front of the TV with peanuts salted in the shell very specific okay on a tray there's a reason for that too the telly will not be tuned to HGTV or Jack Ryan season 4 or Heart of Stone it will be tuned to the Ravens game at the Sheeler household we have Sunday afternoons down to a science we are intentional we are focused which forces me to ask the question to myself that I don't want to do as I'm as intentional on Sunday mornings as I am about those 17 Sunday afternoons in the in the fall (sighs) working on that okay but you see Jesus himself was intentional about Sundays Luke 4 16 and Jesus came to Nazareth where he was brought up and as was his custom he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day and he stood up to read so there are three things that we can pick out of that short narrative. Jesus came to church. Jesus came prepared. And Jesus came to serve. First point, Jesus came to church as was his custom, as was his habit. Jesus was in the groove of attending church. Second point, Jesus was prepared. He did not need to figure out what he was going to read after he showed up. He came with a plan. Jesus wasn't confused, he wasn't inconsistent, he wasn't erratic, he came prepared because point three, Jesus came to serve. Jesus knew what he was gonna read that day, he knew he was gonna be given a specific section in Isaiah, and he knew what that specific section meant, and he knew that he was gonna shock his audience because he came to tell them that the spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim the good news to the poor, He sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering sight to the blind and set to liberty to those who are oppressed to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Now take a picture of that. This was, Jesus came back to his hometown. Think about that. And there was a lot of stuff flying around about this weird baptism that he went through, giving sight to the blind, raising the dead, feeding 5,000. There was a lot of stuff that was, and here this guy shows up and he reads from a passage which everybody in that synagogue knew was a messianic prophecy and he said the Spirit of the I would have loved to hear that the Spirit of the Lord is upon me or the Spirit of the Lord is upon me Jesus knew exactly why he was there on the earth let me consolidate this down to one question for us am I coming to church for the purpose of serving or for the purpose of spectating. Before you answer, let me ask you one more question. Do you come to church early? I'm not talking about 6 o'clock, no. But I'm not talking about two minutes after the church service starts. At a sporting event, at a restaurant, at a concert, the spectators show up late, the participants show up early spectators show up late participants show up early we don't come to church and we don't come to serve because we're mistaken as to why we come to church Jesus knew why he went to synagogue later in Luke chapter 19 to be exact he says for the Son of Man came to seek and to save that which was lost Jesus knew exactly why he came to church he came to seek he came to save He came to serve serving on Sunday mornings is a unique opportunity that we have with this 90-minute window once a week but if you're serving whether it's grace kids or greeters or just reaching out to someone who you see sitting alone can be intimidating so I tell you something that I used to tell my kids every year before they went to school I'd see them beginning to get a little anxious new class new teacher new challenges I'm getting a little afraid and I'd sit him down and I would say listen I'm gonna give you a job on your first day in school okay I want you to go into your classroom and I want you to look for that little boy or that little girl who you've never seen before most likely there will be one in your class go up to them ask them their name and make them feel welcome that student is really nervous they don't know anything about the school help them know that they have a friend And here at Grace Week Do it a little differently. We call it the three I's. Initiate, introduce, invite. So initiate, walk up to them. Introduce. Hi, I'm George Sheeler. I used to lead a small group until Matt and Stephanie Weigel led an armed insurrection and forcibly took my group from me. Or something that would be appropriate to you. And no, I'm not bitter. (laughs) Invite. We have a food truck after the service. I'd love to share an ice cream with you, hear more about your, you know, meet your family. Just ask them to something. So let me summarize point one, I'm intentional about Sunday mornings. Number two, I come prepared and ready to serve. I look to initiate, introduce, invite. We need to move on, but in that application, let me ask you this question. Is the Lord asking you this fall to reevaluate your Sunday morning habits? Second point of application, studying God's word. If I'm called by God to do good works that are prepared by God, then I want to build good habits of studying God's word. I want to build good habits of studying God's word. Now, I know that this has been a painful point of failure for a lot of us trying to have devotions, I can't seem to do it, I try, try to get into God's Word, I don't understand it, and things like that. Um, but let me simplify this as much as possible, and please don't check out here, I know this has been difficult, but I want to give you a couple of simple steps that can change your Bible reading forever. Studying uh, the Bible is much easier when you solve two riddles. Okay, We don't develop good habits with God's Word, because the first we don't address the two anchors of Bible study and those two anchors are time and materials so first of all time what's the time that we dedicate to God's Word okay so pull out your calendar write down a time every day during that week that you're gonna carve out 15 minutes 20 minutes 45 minutes I've got it on my calendar my planner the calendar on my fridge, whatever it is that you use to manage your time. If you have nothing like that, you don't manage your time at all, and you don't know when birthdays happen and anniversaries happen, we have a bigger problem. So once you've got that written on that spot, then you go back and you set an alarm, you set reminders, you do whatever it is that you do to make sure that you remember that that time becomes and stays Bible time because we don't do that time and that materials thing okay so imagine you've won Powerball you've won Powerball all you need to do is show up at your bank to accept the one billion dollar wire into your account you just need to push that button okay what would you do to make sure you were there at that window of time okay for me I would set every alarm in the house and they'd all go off at once. Beforehand, I would take my cars to Woody's Bel Air Auto Service, and I would take the cars for tune-ups and new tires, and then I would arrange for seven car services to show up at my house four hours in in advance for a 10-minute drive. I would make sure that I remembered that time. So the second thing is materials. The alarms are going on all over the house. I grab my Bible, I sit in my dad's chair, or my dining room table, or the breakfast luke. And now what? Open it up to the middle, open it up to the back, to start to read. Because you're gonna end up somewhere in Isaiah. and You're not gonna read again tomorrow, okay? So. We have to be thinking intentionally about what we want to study, what we want to read, where we want to grow. So, slide. So maybe I've started to attend Debbie Palmer's gather study that starts on Friday, September 15th from 1030 to noon, and I'm doing my homework. There's your contact information. Maybe I'm rereading the passage that was preached on Sunday and that we're studying in small groups and we have small group handouts all over the place. And maybe I'm attending Janet Price's Bible study, which meets every other Thursday, Mrs. at Yahoo.com. Or maybe I've chosen a study from Right Now Media where I can get a free subs- subscription from the church for free, going to the church website. Click on resources, click on right now media. Did I mention it's free? If you're stuck and you don't know what to study, I would love to have a conversation. Now, there's a lot of stuff we say up here that's not true, but I would really love to have a conversation with you and talk to you about what you could study. So please find me, george at gracecommunity.org. It's not up there. Um, But if I'm called and crafted to do good works, I want to learn more about the loving God who's called me and continues to mold me. I want to learn more about his love for me and his love for the lost. Okay. Third point of application, one of my favorites, small groups. If I'm called by God to do good works that are prepared by God, then I want to build good habits in my small group. Why? Because small groups are where I build relationships with my church family. Why? Because small groups or where I get help and care during difficult times, and when I can help someone else when they hit a rough patch. Why do I go to small groups? Because we need each other. Early in the creation story, God teaches us that we're not designed to be alone. We're not made to be lone rangers and without relationships. Genesis 2.18, Then the Lord said, It's not good for man to be alone. I will make a helper fit for him. We are created to be in need of community. We are created to share our lives, the highs, the lows, the in-betweens. We were created to serve each other, care for each other, to know each other, and to be known by God. We need deep, meaningful relationships. No matter how much of an introvert you are, you still need those kind of relationships. Point one, we're not made to be, we're not made, created, or crafted to be alone. But the story starts earlier than Genesis 2. In the first chapter in the first book of the Bible God says something really interesting then uh, Genesis 126 then God says let us make man in our image in our likeness so why is that verse odd God is using the plural to talk about himself and to talk to himself it's the first reference of the Trinity in scripture God is beginning to communicate the script, the Trinity to us right out of the gate god has perfect fellowship with himself within the trinity and he also made us just like that after his likeness we too were made for fellowship point one we're not made to be alone point two we were made for fellowship in the likeness of god but that's old testament stuff what about new testament stuff i say that tongue-in-cheek in In john chapter 2 jesus launches his ministry after attending a wedding and supporting the celebration by turning water into wine. But if we start there, we skip something important. If we start at the beginning of his ministry, we start something really important. Back in chapter one, before he changes water into wine, before he started performing miracles, before he launches his public ministry, before all those things, Jesus recruited 12 disciples. Let me rephrase that Jesus created a small group. Before the wedding and the official launch of his ministry, Jesus had his plus 12 of close friends. Point one, we're not made to be alone. Point two, we were made for fellowship in the image of God. Point three, Jesus modeled fellowship in a small group. If I'm called and crafted to do good works, I want to learn more about living with and loving God's people, how I can serve them and encourage them and love them just like Jesus did. I want to follow Jesus' example of getting into a small group. And you can find out about our small groups. There's paper um, listings uh, uh, out in the colonnade. And all of our small groups are updated on our website. Slide four, our fourth application spiritual gifts. If I'm called by God to do good works that are prepared by God, then I want to build the habit of exercising my spiritual gifts. I want you to think about your childhood. Your growing up time if I asked you who is your favorite teacher what face would come to your mind maybe they taught second grade very important year, or, or taught you piano or guitar but somehow they made an impression on you mine was a college history professor I, I would have paid money to see dr. Whitman teach history he was incredible matter of fact uh i was dating this girl and i said you've got to come to this night class that i'm taking and uh she's like you've got to be kidding me right and i said no you've got to come and he was at his best Uh, he was climbing up on tables and explaining things and just he was and it really worked out because i ended up marrying her so we all have these gifts god's given every one of us gifts some of them are the gift of teaching some are of serving of leadership of encouragement some of the gifts are healing and prophecy and words of wisdom and these are all found in the series on uh, first corinthians that we streamed october and november of 2021 so we're not going to take a deep dive today but you can go back and and follow up on those in, on youtube but god may give the gifts but like anything else we need to grow in the gifts and get comfortable using them we all have spiritual gifts. Some of us have just never opened them taken them out and tried them on so the application here may be i'm going to find out what my spiritual gifts are or i think i know my gifts but i need to start practicing my gifts or i really don't know what this guy's talking about i gotta watch that series okay Um, so if i'm called and crafted by god to do good works some of those works involve sharing my spiritual gifts Therefore, I wanna build in the habit of using my spiritual gifts. So I ask the question, is God prompting you to learn more and to step out more in using your spiritual gifts? Come to our fifth and final application. You guys have been very patient. Serving God and loving God, which is another way of saying serving God and loving God's people. If I'm called by God to do good works, that are prepared by God, then ultimately, ultimately, I want to love God and love God's people. One of the greatest things we can can do as we walk out our Christian faith is to love God and love his people. And one of the most difficult things we can do as we walk out our Christian faith is to love God and love his people. More than anyone else, God knows the joy and the heartbreak of close loving relationships and that's clear from how god positioned our next verse in john chapter 13 jesus didn't ask he didn't suggest but he commanded us to do this a new commandment i give to you that you love one another just as i have loved you you are also to love one another by this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another now this is really important And I know we've been here a while. I need you to take a big breath. I didn't hear it. Okay, I heard you blow it out. (laughs) Anyway, um, but you can tell by the positioning of this verse that the statement is somehow a difficult journey. And what do I mean by that? Well, let's parse the statement. It's not optional. It's a commandment. There's no wiggle room, no decision. I need to do this. Jesus is giving us a commandment. Also, we can't do this half-heartedly. We can't do this with words only, but Jesus said, as I have loved you. And I want you to think about how that turned out for Jesus. But finally, Jesus includes the why. I want you to think about how many times God does something and he doesn't give you the why. How many times do we go to God and something's happened and we ask him why god and we get no answer here uniquely god gives us the why up front jesus says all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another it's our differentiator this is what makes us different we love god and we love God by loving one another. It's hard, it's messy, it's emotionally exhausting. But how do we love God? One of those ways is by loving each other. And let me first say that this church excels at this. I don't know how many people come to me who have visited this church or come to other pastors and said, boy, when I walked in here, I could just feel the love that your people have for each other. I feel the love for God. I don't know how many people I've heard from small groups where they said, I was having a difficult time. My small group came around me. They helped me. They walked through this. So thank you. Thank you for already excelling at this. But with that said, let's look at how we can t- continue to excel at this. There are many ways that we can love God and his people, but let me, let me just throw out three ideas here. So there are about 60 one-anothers in the Bible. Read through the list. Google the list. And grab one or two to practice. For instance, when you're done here, go out in the colonnade before you drive home, encourage three people. Worship leader, thank you for, call, you can call him Andrew. Thank you for picking that music set. This particular song spoke to me or it really helped me enter into worship. Hey, mom of young children, I can only imagine how difficult it is to pack all those kids up and get them here every Sunday. But thanking you for bringing your kids to church and preparing them to be tomorrow's church leaders hey grace kids teachers thank you for giving up your Sunday morning thank you for giving up your Saturday afternoon to prepare to get ready to do all that encourage somebody thank them do the one another's my second suggestion is to persist stick to it persist in your love too many people flood you with get wells and hang in theirs on day one and day two But it's a special friends that stay there for the third and fourth and 15th week of your illness or trial. Love is for the long run. There is a quote I once read, um, really had a deep impression on me. Friends come and go, but the true ones stick like an octopus to your face. I could tell it impacted you too. So the way we can love God's people is to do the one another's and to be persistent. And the last one is to help people see God. Point people back to God. I had dinner with a couple a little while back and they had gotten back from vacation with unsaved family. And It wasn't the environment, they loved their family, but it wasn't necessarily the environment they would have picked for a vacation. But instead of complaining or letting it upset their their vacation. They used that time to give thanks to God for all the opportunities that they had, to talk to their family about God, and they really just used that time to focus back on God. There's a quote attributed to Eleanor Roosevelt about lighting a candle instead of cursing the darkness. The vacation tempted them to be short-tempered and judgmental, and instead they used it as an opportunity to have great God focused conversations within their family. It also gave them the opportunity to talk to certain members of the family about God. We can love God and we can love God's people by pointing them back to God. I call the band up. So let me summarize our five applications here. Sunday morning, if I'm called by God to do good works that are prepared by God, then I want to be intentional About Sunday mornings. Studying God's Word. If I'm called by God to do good works that are prepared by God, then I want to build good habits of studying God's Word. If I'm called by God to do good works, then I want to build good habits in small groups. Spiritual gifts. If I'm called by God to do good works that are prepared, then I want to get in the habit or the groove of exercising my spiritual gifts for the benefit of God's church serving and loving God's people, if I'm called by God, then ultimately I want to love God and I want to love God's people. So again, don't try to do these all at once. Don't try to do five of them immediately and dilute your efforts. But pick one or two from this and make a plan and stick to it like an octopus to your face. So let me drop one more challenge. Um, Men, husbands, fathers, lead out process this evaluation in front of your family humbly go go before the lord and think about one or two of these habits and then go to your spouse your kids and confess look i've gotten sloppy i've lost my edge in this particular area and i really want to refocus on this let's do it together let's get sharp together imagine what would that what that would do to your family if you all did that together. Amen.